Welcome to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. All right, take a look behind me. What do you see? See the old man? Fingers? That's part of it. Anybody see the two people standing in the doorway? One man, there's a woman holding the baby, looking at a cat lying on the ground. Not the fingers, but the cat. Got to look harder, cross your eyes a little bit. It's not obvious, is it? We're all looking at the same thing, and yet it's possible to see two different things. It's a bit like how it is with the question that we are answering and discussing tonight here at Veritas. How do science and Christianity fit together? And here's what I mean by science. I mean the method of systematically and critically studying and describing the world around us. You see, just like those images, the answer to how science and Christianity fit together, it it really depends on where we're coming from. The answer we give to that question depends on where we're looking from. And so, where are you looking from? Where are you coming from when you hear that question? How do you see it? The reality is we're all seeing something. Many of you, maybe most of you, you're in science classes. And some of your professors, not all of them, but, but some of your professors see science and Christianity as two worlds apart. Apples and oranges, totally incompatible. Maybe some of you are being told that it's silly and naive to believe in God, or at least that's the low-key message based on science, because all the things about science tell us there's no God. Uh, Maybe you feel a little bit nervous uh, saying that you believe in God in some of these classes because you're not going to really be taken seriously by the professor, by people in your classes. But even if you're not in any sort of scientific class, all of us are living in a culture that values science, highly regards it. Scientists are held in high regard. Their findings hold a lot of cultural weight. I like how one author said it. Science has accumulated massive cultural authority, status, and prestige in the public sphere, much more than Christianity possesses, to be sure. And a lot of times, the popular story that is front and center is that the scientific community believes that science and Christianity are incompatible. Apples and oranges, they don't go together. In fact, many just outright say that science disproves Christianity, and that makes the headlines nine times out of ten. Biologist, atheist biologist named Edward O. Wilson, he claimed this in one of his recent books, the scientific evidence is massive enough and clear enough to tell us this much. We were created not by a supernatural intelligence, but by chance and necessity. There is no evidence of a demonstrable destiny or purpose assigned to us, no second life at the end of the present one. We are completely alone. What do you say to that? 
if you're a Christian here in this room tonight or listening on our podcast, you and I, we have to have an answer to that. 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, for Christians, we have to have an answer for everyone. Skeptical, agnostic, atheistic scientists included. And moreover, and maybe even more importantly, our answer to that question is gonna determine how we live our lives. It's not just some abstract in the clouds, let's answer that question and go back to our lives. No, that has massive implications on the ground of our lives. Because here's the deal, if science is disproving Christianity, disproving that God exists, then anything goes. There's no ought, there's no should, there's no binding obligation from on high, so to speak. At the very least, it's up to the collective society to determine what people should and shouldn't do. And we've all got to kind of follow the rules based on what everybody thinks. But if there is a God, and if he can be known, and if he has preferences for the way that life should be lived, then we've got to conform our lives to what that God wants, you see, this question matters. But like we said before, right, depends on where you're coming from. Lots of us are coming from lots of different places. Some of us, this question feels like a fight. We heard that this was the topic tonight, and you kind of put the gloves on. You're like, oh, let's go. I got all my arguments right here. Bring it on, sucker. It's like, it's like a fight, right? One corner we have science, and the other corner we have God. The bell rings, and the fight begins. I saw an example of a fight like this last year on social media. Maybe you saw this. It was after the fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, right? Some pictures behind me, this fire broke out and it quickly spread. And as you can see uh, here, by the time that the fire was extinguished, that that building spire, uh, most of the roof had caved in and was destroyed. And as people were kind of picking through the wreckage, somebody took this picture on the inside of the cathedral, right? You've got the rubble and the ruins down at the bottom, but part of it survived. And there's this cross that was untouched. It's pretty cool. There's a woman named Kaylee Crane, presumably a Christian. She said this on Twitter about that picture. After all the aftermath and destruction of the Notre Dame fire, the altar and the cross remained untouched. Please explain to me how you don't believe in God after seeing this. That seems like a fair deduction to me, right? I mean, if you think about all that was damaged and destroyed in that fire, the fact that that cross survived, well, it's gotta mean something, right? guy named Dad Broad, Dan Broadbent, he had a more skeptical interpretation for Kaylee to consider. Why didn't the cross get destroyed? Well, here's why. Because the melting point of gold is 1,064 degrees Celsius, and a wood fire burns at around 600 degrees Celsius. Ouch. And then on the bottom, you can read, he posted a message below that said, just because you don't immediately understand something doesn't mean that the answer is magic. You see the fight, right? Kaylee was in God's corner pushing to show that God exists thanks to the survival of that cross, but then you have Dan in science's corner and he seems to knock God out with that scientific response. So it feels like a fight sometimes. Others of us, they don't really care about this question. Maybe it's because you've just experienced how much of a heated issue this can be culturally or in your classes or among your friend groups and you just, the drama's not worth it. You got enough of that in your life. Or maybe you just really aren't in to science that much. You know, those scientific questions are great for some people. Glad we have those scientists over there. Doesn't really affect my faith. Don't need it. I know why I believe and nobody else can touch that. Can't say anything to me. 
another place I think we're coming from, some of us get a little bit nervous when we're talking about these questions. You fear that somehow science is gonna undermine your faith. You've heard some of your unbelieving professors teach how there's zero evidence in the material world that points to belief in God. You've seen the online debates where the atheist uh, comes across much better and just destroys and demolishes the Christian uh, debater, makes him look like an idiot. And you're like, uh-oh, I don't wanna talk to that guy. Right, it makes you nervous. I get it. And finally, you know, I bet some of us in this room are listening on the podcast, we might not be Christians at all. You might be an atheist or skeptical of any and all religious claims. You, you find yourself solidly and unapologetically in the science corner not God's corner. Or if you're not that extreme, maybe you're at least considering Christianity, but you're not sold yet because you haven't figured out how to square Christianity with some of your scientific questions you have, right? Maybe you're more of an agnostic. You're, you're kind of in the center of the ring and you're looking, which corner do I choose? Like, I, I don't wanna be against God. Who wants to be against God if he exists, right? Nobody. And yet you really do. You have some scientific questions and hesitations about Christianity because some good points to bring up. If that's you, I want to thank you for coming. If you're listening, thank you for listening on the podcast. But there's one person that we haven't really acknowledged and talked about and asked what he thinks, and that's Jesus. Where does Jesus find himself in relation to this question? How would Jesus answer the question, how does science and Christianity fit together? I think he'd say lots of things. I think here's where he would start. Colossians 1 16 and 17. For in him, it's in Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him, all things hold together. There's a lot in that verse, but I just wanna point out one thing. All things means all things, science included. Science included. You see, science, that, that method of systematically and critically studying and describing the world around us, that has been created through Jesus. That methodology, that system of study is being upheld by Jesus. And whether or not the scientists know it, it is ultimately for Jesus. How would Jesus answer that question? I think he would at least start by saying it's a tool to point us to him. Science is a tool to point us to him. Not the only tool, but a significant tool nonetheless. One of my former seminary professors, he told us in class of a time when he took his daughter, four-year-old daughter, to her favorite place in the world, the pet shop in the mall. It's oddly enough, that's Kyle's favorite place to go to. Not with his kids though, it's a little bit weird. She loved to look at all the animals. And on this particular day in the pet store in the mall, the clerk was showing this python, massive python to these two teenage boys. And as these, as these teenagers were trying to get the nerve to touch the snake, they were giving each other crap, like, you touch it. No, you touch it. No, you touch it. No, you touch it. His daughter, she just kind of went up and said, hey, can I, can I pet that? She quickly but calmly just stepped right between the two boys, right between that argument, and just started gently petting it. And then she asked it, the clerk if she could hold it. Those teenage boys were kind of dumbfounded, didn't say much, didn't look each other in the eye. They got showed up by a four-year-old girl, right? But I tell that story because I think the daughter's response is the response that Jesus wants us to have with science. He doesn't want us to ignore it. He doesn't want us to get nervous about it or be rough with it or fight over it. Rather, he wants us to take a step closer to it and explore it and get curious about it. 
And so in an effort to get us to, to, to take a step towards science, so to speak, in an effort to come to some sort of answer or at least begin to think about how do we answer how science and Christianity fit together, I want to name and correct and speak to three myths about the relationship between science and Christianity. Three myths. Here's the first one. You can prove or disprove the existence of God through science. You can prove or disprove the existence of God through science. So in this myth, right, there's two groups of people. One is trying to disprove the existence of God. We'll call them materialists, right? Materialists think that matter and space and everything we see, it just kind of happens to be there by accident. It just is. There's no higher power behind the universe. But the other group that we have that's trying to prove the existence of God, we'll call them theists. Theists believe there's a higher power. There's someone or something behind the universe. We'll call him or it's God. Now, to be sure, all Christians are theists, but not all theists are Christians. Some are not sold on Jesus and his claims yet, but theists at least believe there's a conscious being behind the universe who's got a purpose for creating it. Now, a lot of times what happens is each of these groups are trying to use science to prove the claim. Either God exists or he doesn't exist. So who's right? Who wins? Well, none of them do. None of them win because they cannot prove or disprove the existence of God using science. That sounds scandalous, doesn't it? That, that Christians can't prove God's existence by science? Why? Remember what science is, right? It's, it's the method of systematically and critically studying and describing the world around us. It's examining, science examines what is there how it's functioning, how it's behaving by repeated experiments and observation and tests. That's right and good and as it should be, but here's the deal. What science cannot speak to or explain is why anything is there to observe in the first place. Why is anything there in the first place? Why is there something and not nothing? What does it mean that something is there? Science does not have the ability to answer those kinds of questions. And whether they know that they're doing it or not, when a scientist, Christian or not, move from observing what they're seeing to starting to explain why they're seeing it or what it means, then they have moved from a scientific neighborhood into a, we'll call it a philosophical and a metaphysical neighborhood. And that's a problem. That's a problem because science can only explain what is there and how it behaves, not why it's there or what does it mean. The minute that, that any scientist, or we for that matter, Christians, Jews, agnostics, atheists, Muslims, whatever, scientists, the minute that we move from observing what we're seeing and observing to making a pronouncement of what that means, we have moved from a scientific neighborhood into a metaphysical, a philosophical neighborhood. Now, not to be sure, here's the deal. That move is not wrong in and of itself. As humans, we are wired to make this move. That's what it means to be human, to try and make sense of the things that we see, to come, sort, come to some sort of synthesis and an explanation of what is going on here. That's what sets us apart from animals. But we gotta be honest and aware that we're making this move. Let me give you an example, front and center of what I'm talking about. There's a, I'm gonna say this wrong, paleoanthropologist. I have no idea what that person does, sounds smart. Paleoanthropologist and a science writer. They said this in a recent book they co-authored together. An important message that comes to us from the fossil record 
is that any alleged God surely had no plans for Homo sapiens and could not even have predicted that such a species would ever arise. Did you see the move? They were in the scientific neighborhood when they talked about their study of the fossil record, explaining everything that they found. But then they moved into that philosophical and metaphysical neighborhood when they explained what their study meant about God in particular. In this case, that God might exist. And even if he did exist, he's got no plan. That claim right there cannot be proven scientifically. Why? Because it's a metaphysical, it's a philosophical claim. It's fine to make. They have the right to make it. But science can't prove or disprove that because it's in a different neighborhood. Let's think about it another way. Imagine that science became so complete and so technologically advanced that it knew every single thing in the entire universe, all the galaxies, all the planets, all the conditions on those planets, all the elements, the weather conditions, everything, all the data, we got it right here in a little jump drive. It's great. Here's what science cannot and will never have an answer to. Why is there a universe in the first place? Why does the universe go on as it does does this universe, everything on that little jump drive, does it have any meaning? Those are the right questions to be asking, to be sure. Those are the right questions to be asking, but they're philosophical and metaphysical questions and ones that science cannot provide a definitive answer to. To quote C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity, if you haven't read that book, you should. He says this, if that power exists, what he means by it is if that, if that God exists, the one behind the universe, it would not be one of the observed facts, but the reality that made them. And therefore, no mere observation of the facts can find it. If there was a controlling power outside the universe, we might say behind the universe, it could not show itself to us as one of the facts inside that universe. No more than the architect of a house could actually be a wall or a staircase or a fireplace in that house. And so when a Christian or a skeptic or an atheist, when, when they make a pronouncement about God and whether he exists or not based on scientific evidence that they're seeing, they've made the move, move from the scientific neighborhood to the metaphysical and the philosophical neighborhood. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I believe God exists. I think there are good and reasonable and rational reasons to believe that truth. And moreover, maybe most importantly, God is someone who wants to be known and who is able to be known. But it's not because we somehow found him as if he's kind of hiding behind a bush going, dang, found me, right? I was gonna say something else, but I stopped. Not because of that, but because he chose to reveal himself to us. That is, at, at bottom, that's the scandalous and the radical claim of Christianity. That Jesus has made himself known in space and time on this earth as the God of the universe. As Ephesians 3 says this, the mystery of Christ was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The God of the Bible, Jesus has made himself known. And that claim is ultimately believed or rejected by faith. Now, if that makes you uncomfortable, I think that's the point. A part of loving Jesus and following Jesus is having faith in him. Now, at this point, some of you might be, be saying to yourself, that's exactly what I don't want to do. I don't want to live by faith, just being honest. I want to live my life by fact. 
It's not fair that Christians have to rely on faith while all these smart scientists, they get to rely and live in fact land. They're an advantage because they don't have to use faith at all. Faith seems like such a disadvantage. Why can't we have the facts like the scientists? That leads us perfectly to our second myth. Science operates on facts and Christianity operates on faith. It's a myth. Tim Keller talks about his, this in his book, Meaning, uh, Making Sense of God, that today's media and literature, they're full of deconversion stories. Uh, the stories of people who one time uh, had a, a faith in God or Christianity, but then they came to realize the truth. What's interesting is that if you read enough of these deconversion stories, you start to realize that a pattern begins to emerge. You hear that people are confronted with a lack of evidence for claims of religions like Christianity. And then they decide that the universe showed no evidence, no rational evidence for a traditional God. And that doesn't bother them too much because they soon discovered that a lot of non-believers were a lot more passionately committed to justice and equality than most religious people they knew. And so eventually after coming out, so to speak, as skeptics, they can now face the facts of real life and tell the truth. I don't mean to demean someone's deconversion story. It's their own story. My point is there's a common theme there. There's a secular commentator named Barry Benedict. He he boldly and unapologetically says it this way. I find it ludicrous that any thinking adult can believe in God given there has never been even one tiny bit of proof for his existence. I'm open to anyone who thinks they have such proof trying to prove their belief to me. Notice he's inviting us to follow myth number one, right? Prove it to me. But what's really interesting is that beneath this assertion and beneath many of these deconversion stories, there's another belief, there's another story going on. And that story is this myth, right? That religious people are living by blind faith and secular non-believing scientists and people, they all ground their position in evidence and facts and reason. Tim Keller, he calls this deeper belief exclusive rationality, which is just another way of saying that science is the only arbiter of what's real, the only thing that deals in facts, and that we should not believe anything unless we can prove it 100% decisively using science and empirical observations. There's a couple serious problems with this view. The first is that it can't meet its own standard. I mean, think about this. Exclusive rationality tells us that we should not believe something unless we can prove it empirically. But where's the proof for that statement? Has that been tested in the lab? No, people take it for granted. We might even say they take it by faith. They assume it to be true. Another problem, though, is that few of our convictions about the truth, they can actually be proven in a lab, actually be proven empirically. Right, We might be able to prove to people that this substance boils at this temperature, at this elevation. That's fine and good. But we can't empirically prove what we believe about justice or human rights or why we love someone. We can't empirically prove all people are equal in dignity and value and in worth. You see, if we use that same standard of evidence on our beliefs that a lot of other secular people use to reject the belief in God, nobody would be able to justify much of anything. The only things that would be ethical to believe in would be the things that could be proven in a lab. And the truth is that we all have things that we believe in that we would even die for that can't be empirically proven. Here's the deal. That's okay. That's okay. 
We gotta stop demanding that belief in God meets some sort of standard of universally acknowledged proof that we don't apply to other commitments on which we base our lives. There's a fourth century African theologian named Augustine. I think he, he says it best. He says, faith precedes knowledge. Faith precedes knowledge. This is true of Christianity. Do I know 100% that Jesus rose from the dead? No. No, I don't. But I have good reasons, reasonable reasons, logical reasons to believe that. The fact that the Romans didn't present his body after he died, that would have killed the momentum of, of this Jesus movement. The fact that Christianity exploded in the first and second and third centuries. The fact that the disciples, they all died horrible deaths and yet stuck to their story that Jesus rose. Nobody dies for what they know to be a lie. Those are all the reasons for me to believe, but I can't prove 100%. But all that's true of science too. Faith precedes scientific knowledge. Science operates on faith too. Let's do a little thought experiment about a very serious topic today. We all know the coronavirus, right? Right now there are, around the world, there are hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of scientists looking for a vaccine to this virus. Now let's pretend for a second that a scientist right here at Mizzou, they found a vaccine. They did the tests, they did all the study, and, and they, they found the vaccine. But here's the deal, they needed confirmation from other colleagues that they had the right cure. So what do they do? What does that Mizzou scientist do? Well, here's what she does. She emails the head of research down at the CDC down in Atlanta, and she says, hey, here's what I've found. Can you examine my findings? Tell me if I'm right. How are they gonna get there? She's gonna email them because that's the fastest way. The director of the CDC looks it over, reads it and says, oh my gosh, you're right, but we have to prove it. So what do they do? She calls, the head of director calls five groups of scientists independently and says, okay, here's the research, go, prove it. Now let's say a week later, all five of them come back together and they say, oh my gosh, we figured it out. That Mizzou scientist was right. We've, we've independently proven that there's a vaccine. Great, let's go and let's get, it, let's get it out to the rest of the rest of humanity. Right now on the surface, that thought experiment, that seems to be a classic case of science at its best. Operating on hard facts, experiments, independent results free of any sort of bias. But faith was alive and well in that thought experiment. Did you hear how? When the director of research at the CDC in Atlanta received that data from the Mizzou scientist, how did she receive it? She received it in email. They didn't see those experiments done in person. No, what did they do? They read the data and they trusted by faith that that colleague at Mizzou sent them the right trustworthy true results. And then what happened? Well, then they called the five different groups of scientists to replicate that experiment. And when those scientists returned with those findings saying that they found a cure, that director of research took on faith that their research was sound. They weren't at five different places at five different times. They trusted by faith the science that their scientists were doing. What's the point? Faith precedes knowledge. Christians operate by faith, but so do scientists. So where does that leave us? Does that mean we should just totally abandon science and logic and reason and facts altogether? Of course not. Of course not. Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus is speaking to skeptical, unbelieving Pharisees. He says, do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. 
But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Jesus is saying that even if you Pharisees, you don't believe my teachings, believe the works. Look at what I'm doing. Study what's happening for yourself. Use logic, use reason, use your five senses because they're trustworthy. Practice science and then believe. Jesus didn't expect people to take a leap of faith into the dark going, hope this is true. No, he expected people to make an informed and reasonable step of belief based on what they observed. Of course, Jesus isn't here today like he was 2,000 years ago, but that doesn't matter. Even if Jesus were alive today and performing miracles, we would still need to believe the things he was doing by faith in the same way that Jesus called those Pharisees to believe in the works he was doing. So back to myth number two. Science operates on fact and Christianity, Christianity operates on faith. No, both science and Christianity operate by faith because faith precedes knowledge, scientific knowledge, religious knowledge, and every other kind of knowledge. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are we placing our faith in? What are we gonna choose to believe in? Final myth, you have to choose between science and Christianity. You have to choose between science and Christianity. This myth might be kind of obvious, presents with a false choice. Choice number one, if you believe and practice and pursue any sort of science, that comes at the expense of having a robust, dynamic, and faithful and satisfying relationship with Jesus. Or choice number two, if you want a robust and dynamic and faithful and satisfying relationship with Jesus, then you have to abandon the belief, the practice, and the pursuit of any and all modern science. It's a false choice. You can have both. You see, there are and there have always been and there will always be influential scientists who are also faithful followers of Jesus that are studying at the highest, highest, highest levels of science and most respected scientific institutions. I could go on and on and on. I won't bore you. Two people stand out. The, the person who developed the, the Big Bang Theory was a Belgian Catholic priest. Everybody thought he was crazy at the time, but over time, after study... All the entire scientific community believed it, atheistic scientists included. Another guy is Francis Collins. He directed the Human Genome Project. He currently directs the National Institutes of Health. He wrote a book called The Language of God, and he said there that the God of the Bible is the God of the genome. On and on we could go. But why am I telling you all this? If you've ever wondered if you're the only Christian in your science classes, if you've ever been stumped as to how to respond to a classmate or to a professor who says that believing in Christianity is silly or naive or outdated because there's no evidence, you need to know that there are solid Christians who are solid scientists who have solid answers. There are scientists that have rejected that false choice of science or Christianity. No, they, 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 they operate on both. They see science not as antithetical to a belief in God, but as Jesus sees it, as a tool, as a means by which they can learn more about God. Remember Colossians 1, science has been created through Jesus, is being upheld by Jesus as and ultimately is for Jesus because Jesus wants to be known and he's able to be known. Psalm 19, verse one and two, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. His glory is out there. Knowledge of Jesus is able to be gleaned, able to be understood from the observable universe. King Jesus has given us the gift of science as a means by which we can know more about him. Not to prove 100% that he exists. No, that's impossible. But as a means to increase our faith in him. I don't know about you. I want to believe in Jesus more because he is more. I want to believe in Jesus more because he is more. He's more satisfying. He's more powerful. He's more glorious. He's more forgiving. He's more loving. He's more just. He's more merciful than anyone or anything in this life. And I don't know about you, but I want all the help that I can get to believe that. I want to be moved to believe that more and more in any way possible. I want all the help that I can get. Jesus has created and is upholding science as a means to do just that. And so I'm going to take it. And I hope you do too. Don't stay away from science. Don't ignore science. Don't be nervous by science. Don't use science as a weapon to fight. But explore it. Get curious about it. Use it as a tool to help others and to help yourself believe that Jesus is more. Music team uh, is going to come on up. And I just mentioned there are scientists out there that are Christians too. Uh, but I want you to know that they're not just out there somewhere in the world, somewhere in the United States. They're right here in, in Columbia. They're right here at Mizzou. A couple of years ago, The Crossing, which is the church that Veritas is connected to here in town, they made a video of, of several Christian professors here, right here at Mizzou, about how they fit science and Christianity together. Uh, I hope that you find hope and comfort in knowing that, that you're not alone and I pray that their answers in this video, they give you some answers for yourself and for other people who are asking for a reason why you believe what you believe. Let's watch this video. Throughout my training, I've honestly, even as a Christian, been surprised with how many Christians I, I come in contact with through my work. I studied um, how a single cell becomes an organism, and it's such a complex process. I mean, there are so many different points that it could go completely haywire. The fact that it ever went well and you ever got the whole organism was a miracle. And then the fact that it happens all the time over and over in such an amazing way really just strengthened my faith. To see the things that we're able to see under a microscope and explore the things we're able to explore and really try to tease apart the intricacies of the way that our bodies work Really, it just encourages my faith. Science is God's, you know? He, he established it, and he gives us the know-how how to learn about his creation, but there's nothing that disproves him in any way. Science cannot explain everything. Science was, was started by people who understood that there's, there has to be a foundation to science, and that, that foundation the best foundation is, is that of biblical Christianity. Science is a methodology that helps us explore God's universe, but it's very limited. It doesn't help us explain things like love, our emotions, things that are really hard. You can't just grab love and hold on to it like you can a plant or clothing. I can use the empirical world to help me understand the nature of God and the, the structure of God's creation. But as a transcendent being, God is more than the world. 
And it just simply, there, there's no reason why my understanding of a transcendent being is limited to my understanding of the physical world in and of itself. It really would take more faith to believe that there is no God and that everything that we experience or the world that we see is based simply on the random interaction of molecules. And I know people fervently believe there's no God, but I'm kind of going, dude, it's like a big universe. And if I were to draw the universe, it'd be like one tiny, tiny little dot. And you're going to make a pronouncement sitting here in Columbia or Boston or San Francisco or London. I'm sure there's no God in anywhere of all of creation. Now you could say that, but it's really a faith statement, isn't it? I choose by faith to believe there's no God. This God who created everything creates some of the most magnificent structures and anatomy and physiology that the, the human mind can, can barely comprehend. The, the more we find out about how the human body is put together, the more amazing it is that, that God did all of this. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.